Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. Well, we've made it through another insane week in the news cycle. Obviously, things are devolving rapidly with coronavirus, and there is still plenty of other stuff going on, too, that we seem to be forgetting about because coronavirus. But let's go ahead and start there and kind of as per usual. And this is almost just a reoccurring theme now that every time I am done recording and everything's edited, uploaded, breaking news happens. And the same thing happened last Sunday, which it's hard to believe this was even a week ago. But um, last Sunday night, the Fed announced that they're slashing interest rates to effectively 0%, which is basically the Fed shooting its last shot to try to do something to prop up the economy that is rapidly tailspinning because obviously you have either cities or full-on states now going into lockdown mode. And even in areas where you don't have government-mandated lockdowns or closures, um, you are starting to see a massive slowdown in travel. You're starting to see a massive slowdown in hospitality. Um... I know most of the restaurants around my area, I mean, I live in Atlanta, there's not been any kind of government suggestions or anything like that handed down or even anything more concrete than that. But all of the restaurants around me have gone from doing dine-in to strictly takeout or curbside or delivery, um, starting to see non-essential businesses close on their own, starting to hear rumors about other businesses possibly considering it. And this is something that's obviously happening across the country. So there is an economic slowdown taking place and it's going to get worse. But this was basically, like I said, the Fed trying its last best ditch hope to try to salvage something out of the economy. And on Monday, the the Dow reacted by dropping 2,997 points, which for those of you keeping math, is 12.93% on Monday. So, yeah, the markets didn't exactly respond the way the Fed had hoped that they would respond, which was as something more positive than tanking almost 3,000 points in one day, which I believe that is still the record now. (laughs) Another day this week might have changed that, but... We had that bounced back a little bit on Tuesday, has been up and down the whole week. But by the time the Dow Jones, the the markets closed this week, um, the Dow is now officially lower than when Trump took office for the first time during the Trump presidency. That's not exactly good for somebody who has pegged their whole reelection hopes on the economy. Yeah. I don't know. Things aren't looking so good for the economy right now. So that was the wild roller coaster ride in the financial markets this week. And I don't see it getting much better in the upcoming weeks because I don't know what else aside from stimulus, which I will get to that in in a minute. But outside of that, the federal government has now officially done pretty much everything it could possibly do to try to prop up the economy. And it ain't happening. So, yeah, (laughs) it's going to be a bumpy ride out there. But like I was saying, um, 
over this past week, you have seen a lot of cities start shutting down of their own accord. You're starting to see private businesses making that decision of how exactly they want to proceed going forward. Like I said, a lot of restaurants are eliminating dine-in service. Um, Non-essentials are closing down. Um, I, yeah. So, oh, that brings us to the states that are on state government mandated lockdown, which California was the first to go on a statewide mandated lockdown. And the thing that kind of scares me about the California one is it is indefinite at this point. There is not a time frame for when they will not be on lockdown. Um, New York and Illinois have also followed suit. So they are on statewide lockdown, which essentially means all non-essential businesses are forced to be closed. Um, essential businesses are things like, obviously, grocery stores, pharmacies. Um, I believe they even count liquor stores as essentials, which, yes, Um I saw, I think it's in Jersey, I believe, that um, because I do have medicinal marijuana there, that the cannabis stores are deemed to be essential businesses, so they get to stay open. But yeah, basically anything that doesn't require being opened for people to live is forced to be closed right now. That is going to create problems. Obviously, especially when you're talking about states like New York and California, who do have massive, massive economies, having things shut down. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. And as far as other things shut down, um, we have officially shut down the U.S.-Canadian border. Um, The southern border has already been closed for some time now. I mean, I'm sure I've beaten you over the head enough talking about immigration to let you know that, yeah, Nobody's really been crossing the southern border for quite some time now, but now the U.S.-Canada border is closed to everything except trade. So nobody crossing any of the borders in this country. Okay. I understand that coronavirus is serious. I understand that we need to stop the spread of it. I do not like the government telling businesses that they cannot be open. I do not like the government telling people that they cannot move about. Oh, it just sets such a, such a, such a dangerous precedent. It really does. And I mean, I just, oh no, it just, it it squicks me out. Like it's one thing for people to decide if they want to self-quarantine or for a business to decide, okay, we want to close down for X amount of time and make that decision of their own accord. When you're being told to do it, and especially since as it stands right now, there's nothing in place on either the state or the federal level that is going to create any kind of compensation for these businesses that are being forced to be closed and for these employees that are being forced to stay home. I just, I don't know how you do that. Like I, ooh, and... For what it's worth, um, plan on talking to a couple of people next week, doing some interviews on these topics. So I'm not going to go super deep into them right now, but it's just, it, it worries me. And especially the idea that people don't seem to have learned the lessons from 9-11 or have forgotten some of the lessons from 
as far as the idea of temporary government programs or temporary government actions in the the face of a disaster or in the wake of a disaster never seem to be temporary. And so now you're setting up this precedent in these three states and maybe other states will do full-on lockdowns. I don't know. I hope not. But now you're creating this situation where somebody can decide that large swords of people, and I think somebody did the math, and even just at those three states, you're looking at 80 million people who are now being told by their government that you can't go to work. You can't, you, you're not, you're really not supposed to leave the house. I mean, you, you're allowed to leave the house for periods of time to like go outside and exercise and obviously go to the grocery store and stuff like that. But aside from that, you're really supposed to stay in your house. Like that's the idea. The idea being that we need to flatten the curve to try to, to, to stop the spread of COVID-19. But another thing that's kind of starting to bother me about this sort of either whether you're self-quarantining or you're being forced to quarantine is over the span of the last week, like initially when we started having these discussions, everybody was kind of on board with like two weeks, like, okay, self-quarantine for two weeks. Um, we're going to close down like the bars and the clubs and the restaurants and stuff for two weeks. And over this past week, we've kind of slip slid past two weeks into a more indefinite area of time. And that's kind of making me nervous because like, having this indefinite, like there's people that need to know when they're going back to work or when things are going to be open so that they can start making decisions about how they need to handle themselves financially. Like there needs to be some kind of something so people know what the hell to do and not that they're just like sitting in their houses for an indefinite period of time while there's no, they don't have a paycheck. They're not getting any kind of money coming in. And then there's also just the idea of social distancing and having to isolate yourself from people. Like there needs to be some kind of time frame put in place and there isn't one right now. I don't think you really can put a date on it right now. And that's, that's a little frightening. The idea that people might be stuck on lockdown for just, I don't know, weeks, months. I mean, some estimates are putting it out there that we need to be practicing social distancing and staying out of public for as much as possible for the next 12 to 18 months, which that's not going to happen. Like people don't work that way. Like human beings are not built to be in isolation from other human beings for long amounts of time. Like we've done all of these studies on people in solitary confinement in prison and people who are isolated from society and what it does to them mentally. It's not good. So having people stuck in their houses is not going to be good either. And then you're going to obviously have the internet and social media creating these sorts of echo chambers like they already do now. But if you have people who are stuck in their house, they're getting increasingly depressed. They're getting increasingly just desperate. All of a sudden, you're going to start seeing some really ugly stuff crop up. And I'm just like, I'm, uh, this is just, this is going to end so badly. This, however, however COVID-19 ends, the, the steps that we are taking to try to combat it. And I understand, like I said, the, the whole do something and that this is really the only thing that we can do right now in the absence of widespread testing and any kind of treatment or vaccine being on the market. But my God, this is going to have fallout. This is going to be so bad. Just, oh my God, I, I don't, I don't know. 
And there are people now who are kind of coming around to trying to have the conversation about a cost-benefit analysis on this. And to be fair, there are people doing it just to be contrarian. However, I do think that there is a discussion there that needs to be had, especially if we're going to be talking about a stimulus plan, which there is various plans on the table right now. Um, There is going to be a stimulus plan. Like, let's just go ahead and acknowledge that. The only thing that we need to hammer out is who is going to get what money. And as it stands right now, um, the last kind of concrete thing I saw floating around was for there to be individual stimulus checks of $1,200, um, one in April, one in May, and then various sorts of dollar figures for bailouts for airlines, for hospitality. Um, there was going to be money given to the SBA for either block grants or low interest loans for small businesses to basically try to to float as long as humanly possible. Um, I've seen a lot going on in the private sector in that area, too, outside of government intervention, where you've had private banks offering these sorts of loans to businesses at low or no interest rates to try to keep them afloat as long as you can under these circumstances. Because like I said, these are businesses that are having to lay people off because you can't make payroll. So now there's going to be this massive spike in unemployment. And I mean, you've got businesses who are trying their absolute best to adapt to the circumstances. And that's a thing that also really bothers me about government mandated lockdowns. It's like, you're not, you're not giving these businesses a chance to try to adapt and survive somehow. And there's so many businesses that are doing it on their own to just try. Like it's, it's going to be a drop in business, but it's better than nothing which is what you're left with if the government tells you you cannot open your doors, like you cannot sell your items, like you have to close. Like it's just, I I just don't think it's fair. I, I don't think it's fair to make that decision for a business and for that business's employees. And especially when you're talking about employees that, I mean, a lot of people who are fans of the whole self-quarantine, we have to shut everything down, are people who can ride this shit out, who already work from home or can work from home or already have savings. And a lot of these employees don't fall in that category. So now when you're telling somebody, hey, you can't go to work, you can't make a paycheck, but we also can't tell you when exactly you're going to be going back to work or getting a paycheck or when you're going to be getting a stimulus check or how much it's going to be like, that's just, that's such an awful position to put people in. And it's just, I, I'm not comfortable with that decision being made by anybody other than the businesses themselves and their employees making that decision together amongst themselves. Like I just, I'm not, not comfortable with it, but there are some, some silver linings to what is going on with COVID-19. And that is the amount of regulations that are being eased up off of or just eliminated under the guise of emergency. But hopefully some of this stuff will stick. I mean, finally, 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 the FDA is getting the hell out of the way. They're fast-tracking emergency use authorizations. 
of various sorts of testing so that now we can have more testing. We've got testing that is now taking hours instead of days. We're starting to spread it out across the country. We're having drive-through testing pop up. Testing is going to ramp up very much in the next couple of weeks, which means numbers are going to ramp up. But also just take that with a grain of salt because testing is ramping up and that is what we need. We have to have testing. I keep harping on that because that is the only other way outside of implementing these sorts of lockdowns that we're going to get this under control. We have to know who is infected. We have to know who's not infected. We have to figure out what to do with the infected. Um, They're trying some various sorts of treatments that have been used for malaria. They're using those on COVID-19 patients and are having a bit of success, it seems. So maybe hopefully soon on the horizon, we'll have at least a treatment for people who have COVID-19. Human trials have already started on a vaccine, but we're still probably about 18 months out on that. But human trials have started this past week. So there is progress being made on that front. And going back to the regulations, I got a little off topic there, but we're we're starting to see... (laughs) Stuff kind of go by the wayside, like New York City now allows booze to go. Well, back when you could actually like go to the damn bar, but stuff like that. Um, You've got Texas and actually you've got a couple states really starting to relax up on their liquor laws. And hopefully that will remain in place because it's stupid. Like, stop, stop with the damn stupid laws. Um, Texas is now allowing trucks that usually were just for the transport of alcohol to also transport food now to try to open up supply chains to get more food into the grocery stores, which is great. You're starting to see just various sorts of stuff like that fall by the wayside. And you're starting to see a lot of people ask questions about like, well, why, why do we do things this way anyway? Like why were things this way before? Like, and why, why would we want to go back to doing that any other way? And you're also starting to see this a lot with homeschooling. A lot of of districts have told kids, like, obviously, you have to stay home for two weeks, three weeks. Um, a couple of districts here in Atlanta are on indefinite leave. But of course, in the meantime, they do expect you to do homeschooling. And a couple of the districts here in Atlanta, I think it was Gwinnett County that does have distance learning already. And so it's like, well, why don't we do this all the time? Or why isn't this an option all the time? So there are some kind of libertarian silver linings here of people kind of starting to ask questions, especially when it comes to the FDA and the CDC about, okay, so if we can fast track things now, why don't we fast track things all the time? Like, okay, yes, obviously this is an emergency. Um, So is Alzheimer's. That's an emergency. Why don't we fast track treatments for Alzheimer's? Why don't we fast track treatments for cancer patients? Like, why? Why? And I, and I hope that line of questioning stays because it is an important conversation to have. It's like, okay, well, we do have these other emergencies that we need to be taking care of too. And so if we can do this for COVID-19, why can't we do this for other things too? Why are you standing in the way? Why are you making things worse? Please go away government, especially in regards to the FDA and the CDC. Um, I've been seeing this kind of slowly get wider and wider as this goes on. More people finding out about how testing was handled and how 
the FDA and the CDC completely shit the bed and bungled this whole thing. And now we're basically having to play catch up because of what they did or didn't do. And there's starting to be a lot of anger because obviously, I mean, this is this is a situation that could have been handled seven weeks ago. Like this could have been handled and we wouldn't be in this situation right now where we have states on lockdown and you have these sorts of where you have these hot spots and you have all the problems that we have right now. Like this could have all been prevented if the FDA and the CDC would have just gotten out of the way, let the private labs handle the testing, get it, get it out there into the system. If the CDC hadn't had a stranglehold on the test to begin with, and then they botched the first batch of them and they couldn't be used. So those had to be thrown away. And then we had to wait for another batch. It's like, this has just been such a clusterfuck on a state level. Like this is not a market-based failure. This is a state-based failure. And the more people start to realize that, the more people start asking those kinds of questions. Like, well, why? Why Why did you do this? Like, why did you put us in this position where now people are going to get killed and people are going to get hurt and now you, you've got economic concerns because of what we have to do to try to fix the mess that the federal government created in the first place. Like, people are starting to get really pissed about this. And I'm like, yes, keep asking that question. And while you're at it, here's a couple more questions you could start asking, too. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm fascinated to see once all this is said and done and Hopefully that is sooner rather than later, although I'm kind of not holding my breath on this too awful much. I mean, health-wise, I think we'll get this under control. Economy-wise, I don't even, I cannot begin to even fathom how long it's going to take to fix the damage that's being done. But we shall see. I'm just, I'm happy that people are starting to understand that Government control and government interference in certain things is not something that is desirable or preferable and that there are areas and most of those areas that the private market could have handled this faster, better, cheaper. And while I'm not happy that it's going to take a pandemic and people dying for people to like figure this out, I, I will take whatever silver linings I can get right now. <laughs> They're, they're they're kind of few and far to come by, but hopefully this will start to spur some discussions of how we handle things, especially in the healthcare sector in this country. Yeah, that's my hope. That's the prayer. So moving on to other proposed sort of government interventions. Like I mentioned, we are going to get a stimulus plan. Not entirely sure what the details are. Hopefully in the next week or so, those will become a little more crystallized. And I'm going to hold off on more discussion on that because I have somebody coming on that I want to discuss this with. So, and, and aside from that, there's not any kind of like super concrete numbers out there right now, other than it does look like Industries are going to get a lot of money and whether individuals are going to get a equivalent amount of money seems to be something that's not going to happen, but we'll see what ends up happening over the next week. So we did actually have primaries this week back on Tuesday. 
Um, Illinois, Florida, and Arizona did still hold their primaries on Tuesday, and Biden won all three of those. Um, On the topic of primaries, though, we are starting to get states who have not had their primaries yet push them back further than where they were initially planned on being. Um, Ohio has now pushed theirs back to June 2nd, and Connecticut will also have theirs on June 2nd now, too. And both of those were slated to be, I believe, this week or next week. So pushed back pretty far. Um, We did actually push back tax day to July 15th. So it is not April 15th this year. It is July 15th. We we get a 90-day grace period, which, I mean, why don't we just do a total grace period this year? I mean, it's not like people don't need the money because we're in an economic collapse and a, a possible depression about to happen, at the very least a recession. And it's not like people couldn't use that money for other stuff. Just putting it out there. But just so you know, if you haven't filed your taxes yet, you don't have to do it till July 15th. Don't panic. And if you need the money, obviously don't file your taxes. If you have to pay, like just hold off on that. You're good. But back to our Democratic primary. Um, After Tuesday's wins, this leaves, as far as delegates are concerned, Biden with 1,165, Bernie with 851. Bernie is not dropping out. Um, There was a brief, brief moment in time this past week that Axios started a rumor. They ran a story that Bernie Sanders was basically about to drop out. And the Sanders camp absolutely refuted that. And Bernie Sanders is still in the race. Um, Like I've already said, he's not dropping out. He's not dropping out to the convention. And especially if you're starting to have states push back their, their primaries yeah, I don't think Bernie's going anywhere anytime soon. He's taking it to the convention. Assuming the convention is still taking place. I I mean, I don't know. It's in July. I don't know what we're going to be doing in July. I don't know what we're going to be doing next month. So there's that. Bernie ain't going nowhere. Um, people are starting to get kind of pissed at Bernie for not dropping out because of the coronavirus concerns. Like, you don't really want people gathering in public places, which also includes, you know, voting places. So people are kind of like, all right, can you please just drop out so that people stop voting in primaries, basically, because then there's just only one person left to vote for. So there you go. But I'm not a fan of that argument because I just, I mean, if people want to vote, people can vote. If Bernie wants to stay in, he can stay in, even if it's becoming a bit ridiculous. But again, this was always going to be how it was. I mean, I've been saying that for God, how long now? I've been putting out this man ain't going nowhere, but somebody did go somewhere. Tulsi dropped out and and endorsed Biden, which everyone was just like, huh? Because if you'll remember, the whole reason Tulsi and the DNC aren't super cool with each other is because she actually left the DNC back in 2016 over their treatment of Bernie Sanders. So having her drop out and endorse Biden kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I mean, when somebody is the obvious nominee, which I think we can all say Biden is now, um, I guess you just have to make the calculation 
and decide, okay, well, what do I want to do that's going to be best for my further career in politics? So, yeah. So we officially no longer have Tulsi in the race. R.I.P. Tulsi. You had a good run. You outlasted a lot of people that nobody thought you'd outlast. And you did try to drag the party more anti-war. Good job. I'm sure we'll be seeing more of Tulsi at some point in the future. But to wrap up the week and our last little bit of bubbling up controversy, um, we may be having a congressional insider trading scandal. And here's what happened. Um, this centers around, well, two people technically right now, one of whom has a little more plausible deniability than the other, but I still ain't buying it. Um, Richard Burr, who is the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and Kelly Loeffler, who is Georgia's newest senator, who got appointed by Kemp to fill, I think she's filling Purdue's seat. I forget whose seat that she was filling, but anyway, um, kind of a twofold story here. Um, NPR had reported that they got a recording of Burr at a private members-only VIP event in South Carolina, telling the people at that event that COVID-19 was going to be worse than the 1919 flu. And so there was that story. And mind you, this is somebody who, as head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, was sitting in on private closed-door meetings related to COVID-19 and the country's preparedness for it. And he was also publicly downplaying the virus, downplaying the effect of it, basically telling everybody everything's going to be okay. So you have that. And then right after NPR story dropped, ProPublica dropped a story about how the financial disclosures had come out because every Congress critter has to file their financials, that right after Burr started getting these daily briefings, um, he sold off a shit ton of stock. Like anywhere it's estimated, I believe between 668000 to like $1.2 million worth of stock. And he did this right before the markets started going haywire. So you can kind of put two and two together and make the obvious, very valid assumption that Burr used information that he got in his capacity as head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, as somebody who was sitting in on these private meetings where they were talking about the actual preparedness of this country for a pandemic to sell off stocks. And Kelly Loeffler, to a different extent, is charged with the same thing. Um, she was also sitting in on those same meetings. Um, hers is a little bit better and a little bit worse because not only did she sell off stocks that were going to tank, but then she also bought stock in a telework commute, uh, company, which that looks shady as fuck too. But the thing is, Loeffler is basically saying that she had no control over those trades, that they're done by third-party investors, which... To be fair, she is worth $500 million. I mean, she's rich as hell, but she is also married to the head of the New York Stock Exchange. So, yeah, um, that's looking a bit shady, too. But she also did the same thing as Burr, where she had to release her financials and people noticed the dates and said, hold on, wait a minute. So 
Were you using information that you got in these meetings in order to basically dump stocks, buy stocks? That's insider trading. Like that is the definition of insider trading is using non-public information to make stock decisions, to make financial decisions. That's insider trading. (laughs) And for those who still think that, well, members of Congress can't be charged with insider trading. Yes, they can. Go Google Stock Act. That closed that loophole. And it specifically says that if a congressperson is caught making financial transactions, making financial deals based off of information that they received as as a member of Congress, that they can be charged with insider trading. So this is a very real threat. Like, I don't know if the SEC is going to investigate either one of these people. I wish they would. I mean, the case for Burr is a little, little more solid because he does not have the financial backing that Kelly Loeffler has. I mean, it's it's still not a conceivable argument that Loeffler's making that because again, her 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 sell off was in the millions, which obviously she has a hell of a lot more millions to play with than Burr. But the idea that a third that her third party investors just did this all by themselves and weren't told by you to do it, like that's still a bit sketchy, even though she has more money than God. That they just still third parties don't just buy and sell millions of dollars worth of stock without consulting the person that they're working for. That kind of doesn't happen. Even if you do have a net worth of $500 million and probably wouldn't notice if a couple million went missing. (laughs) Yeah. So, but the bigger problem here is to me, I mean, the insider trading is bad enough. Like you shouldn't be enriching yourself off this kind of stuff. That's, that's fucked up is that both of these people, whether this does boil down to being insider trading or not, both Burr and Loeffler, even after sitting in on these meetings, helped perpetrate the notion that the U.S. was prepared for this, that everything was under control, everything was going to be fine, when they knew that it wasn't. So even if you want to set aside the financial part, you basically just got caught lying to the American public, lying to your constituents about the preparedness of the country for COVID-19. And if you had been honest, maybe things would be a bit different now. Maybe if you had pounded the alarm instead of just going along with what Trump was going along with then, was basically downplaying the virus itself and just being like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just like the flu, blah, blah, blah. We got it under control. Everything's fine. (sighs) There's a lot of reckoning to be had by the time this is all said and done. Whether it'll happen, I don't know. But basically anybody who pushed that narrative, knowing for a fact that that was a lie, there should be some kind of punishment for that. Whether you get kicked out of Congress, I mean, I highly doubt it'll ever go that far, at least not on that level. The insider trading level is a whole nother thing entirely. But for everybody that lied... And who knew better? Oh, I mean, there, there's got to be something. Because this whole mess could have been avoided. Just, oh my God, the various ways that it is coming to light that this whole thing could have been handled so differently by our government, by people in our government. And it wasn't. And now we have 
this massive problem in the United States, it's mind-blowing. It's really, really mind-blowing. And it reminds you that, you know, for all of our cynicism and all of our kind of pointing and laughing at politics, sometimes this shit ain't a game. And sometimes you you can't view this just as, okay, whatever, nothing matters. Like, okay, some things matter. And this is one that should matter. So... Like I said, whether there'll actually be any kind of repercussions for either one of these people, I don't know. Um, everything is kind of being sucked up by COVID-19, and that's all anybody can talk about. So I don't know if at some point Congress will do anything. I don't know if the SEC will do anything. That remains to be seen. But I think that is something that is going to continue to be a topic of discussion over the next couple of weeks. So we will keep an eye on that. But At this point, we have now made it to the end of the week, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. If you did make it this far, as always, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care, and until next time.